I'm Julie Bowen. And I'm Chad Sanders. And you're listening to Quitters, the podcast. I am really excited about this week. We get to talk to Jimmy Kimmel. And I think we asked him the question, which is, Jimmy, would you ever quit your show? That was the looming question because he's referred to it. We do our homework here. He mentions walking away from Kimmel, but in the future at some point. So we get into that a little bit and we talk about what it would mean to him. And he was every bit as funny and charming, but also a lot more real and and vulnerable than I thought he would be. Yeah. Uh, And I'm going to stereotype you people. And (laughs) by you people, I mean you funny people, you people who have been doing comedy at a high level for a really long time. To me, it's surprising. It shouldn't be surprising, but you guys are really smart. Uh huh. It's a different level of observation and intelligence. Yeah. He felt like a librarian, a comedian librarian dad. <laughs> yeah, he's really smart. And I really like that guy. He has had missteps like we all have in the past. And he has, I believe, learned from them. I mean, the guy started on The Man Show where the opening credits were like girls' boobs bouncing in the air. But he's also evolved way past that. And his thinking has evolved. He's been married a couple times. He's got a bunch of kids. He's gone through health scares. He's a real person who has flaws and has walked away from shit, too. So I really loved talking to him. It was great. So here he is, Jimmy Kimmel. are handsome devil i just wanted to like do with some interest this is chad sanders hey jimmy hey chad you might know jimmy from i don't know always being on television (laughs) i know him from the bill simmons podcast is that right oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) that's right we do all share a love of certain sports although jimmy i always forget if you're a basketball guy at all i like them all pretty much basketball hockey football baseball you know, Chad, one time I was doing Jimmy's show and he was watching, was it the World Series under your oh, desk? Yeah. <laughs> like between, <laughs> like literally watching it under the desk. That's what I love about Jimmy is he's a real person. <laughs> so Chad wrote a book called Black Magic. And in the book, he talks about quitting. He was in the tech world. He quit Google, quit trying to assimilate into that culture that did not feel like him. And we started talking about quitting. And it seems like you're at this point where you may or may not be looking at a quit in your future. You and I have been in Hollywood a long time. Chad is just sort of entering this world and actually really thinks it sounds sexy and cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, we're going to actually tell you that it's not. You're just looking for something to quit, Chad? Is that what another thing to quit? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. I mean, yes, always looking for things to quit. I usually choose friendships. You've been doing something that's been super successful for a really long time. I think longer than anybody doing it right now. And you talk pretty openly about how that thing is relentless and chaotic. And it's not the type of thing that you stop and get back on the wagon on. And so do you ever imagine quitting your show? I imagine it every single day. I've imagined it every day since I started. And that is not a joke. I think about it when I'm in that there's like a a two hour period where you have to buckle down and write the monologue and you really have to block everything out. And you'd think it would get easier, but it doesn't get easier. It's just the nature of writing with a deadline and with an audience that's going to stare at you if you're not funny that night. So there's a combination of just schedule and fear 
And just for yourself, you want to put a show on that makes you feel like you did something okay when you walk off stage. So I think about it all the time. At the beginning of the show, I was hoping we would get canceled. Honestly, the like first year and a half. <laughs> and everyone always laughs when I Sorry. say that, but it was not. <laughs> I, just, I get it because it's so stressful. Yeah. yeah, I don't quit things. I was fired from a lot of jobs, but I I guess you could say I quit the man show. I didn't necessarily quit it. I felt we'd completed it, you know, whatever it was that we were doing there, that we'd run our course. And so I didn't feel like I left it so much as I finished it. And as far as this show goes, it's a hard job. As far as show business goes, it's a pretty hard job and it takes your whole life. However many hours in the day you have or however many hours you can give it. I mean, if you had another 12, you could pour another 12 into the show and the show would probably be better as a result. So for me, it's all encompassing and I'm kind of all in or not. And I have no problem doing nothing, but when I have something that I have to do and I want to do it well, I can't stop thinking about it. I mean, who would you be without that thing to think about? I used to feel that way on hiatuses. I can do nothing as long as I know I'm coming back to yeah, work. Yeah. So who are you if you actually didn't have that to go back to? It's hard for me even to do nothing when I know I have to go back to work because I look at vacations as a time to catch up on all the things I wasn't able to get to. You should see what I pack for a vacation. It's like pads and art supplies and all these things, I think, and they never get touched on the vacation. <laughs> but I was talking to my daughter yesterday, actually. She's 30 years old and she is an artist. She's a ceramics artist and she's got a ton of orders for custom ceramics. And Some of them are from me. Uh, yeah, right. I'm not kidding. I love her stuff. Yeah, we discussed that. And thank you. And she's like, well, you know, I'm going to get these done and I'm trying to figure out a way to get these orders in earlier in the year so then I can have a little bit of a break. And I said, yeah, but you won't take one. And she's like, I know, but <laughs> because I know that she's got that same engine that I have. The idea of relaxing sounds great, but then when it happens, you feel like I should do this. This would either be fun to do or it's something that I want to take on. And for me, it's taking on too much. That's the problem I have because if something sounds great, I'll try to squeeze it in. Jimmy, you said something that I'd really want to double click. You said when you write your monologue, you got to block everything out and you got to really sit there for two hours, however long you have, and write it. There's such a strong, palpable undercurrent right now of what is okay to think and say out loud. And I, as a writer, I almost feel like I know who I'm going to hear applause from and who I'm going to be mm. jeered by mm. while I'm sitting there writing. And it's really hard for me to get to a place where I truly don't give a fuck about either of those two things enough to hear my own thought underneath all of it. How do you do that? Well, the number one thing in my head when I sit down is, is this going to get a laugh? Did I go one joke too far, do one joke too many, where it's the right place to get out of this topic? I know my audience pretty well because I'm doing this every night. Listen, the people that I'm going to piss off, I've already pissed off. So that's not even an issue for me. They're never coming back. They don't like me. And that was a departure for you when you kind of took a political stance around when your son was born. Or was it earlier than that? That's when I clued into you actually having a political stance. It was a little earlier than that. Yeah, but people do think that's when it was. But it was really around the time when 
Donald Trump started running for president because, I mean, listen, it's just one of those things like that was the news story every day. And the idea, at least for me, is make the news funny every day. And that's what was in the news every day. And the truth is Donald Trump is for comedians. You don't have to explain him. Most jokes you have to set up. There's this time you have to spend telling people the story that you're going to make a joke about. And with him, you never have to do that. You can go right (laughs) to the punchline. And that's convenient. As far as jokes go, it's convenient. But as far as me giving my opinions, I always did. They were just about dumb things. Yeah. (laughs) They were just about very stupid things. Yeah. Like pineapple on pizza (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) So you don't think about who you're going to piss off anymore. Uh, No, no. Sometimes I think to what extent is this going to be worth it? I do have that thought sometimes. And sometimes there are things that you just you're kind of surprised. But a lot of it is when people take your words and twist them. I was talking about the fact that hospitals in certain areas were totally overwhelmed and they were unable to take in patients. And somebody said something, maybe it was Dr. Fauci is like, it's a difficult thing. You know, what do you do? when someone has chosen not to get vaccinated and they want to come into the hospital and you've got people with other issues, your run-of-the-mill issues, who've taken that precaution and who need to get in the hospital. And I said something like, well, that doesn't seem like much of a choice to me. You're the one. Yeah. And it was twisted to present the joke as if I was saying people who didn't get vaccinated should be left to die in the parking lot of the hospital. And of course, people get very mad because they think that's what I said, because context is not something we present anymore in American culture. Conan, who is very good about never getting political, Mm -hmm. you can get a hint of where he stands. He always backs away from anything one side or the other. And then I watch Chappelle, Netflix show, and I'm like, oh, the stones on you. Oh, the big giant brass balls. Do you ever think about how you'll be thought of later or in the moment? Am I not standing up for what I really want to say? Well, if given the choice, I'll take the brass ball, this big ball side, I guess. But <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't love the silly stuff. And it doesn't mean I don't wish that we're in a time where that was what we did every night. I think we did like a whole summer. I found out there was a town named Dildo in... <laughs> No, there's not. In Canada. Yeah. And I forced myself on them as their honorary mayor because they didn't have a mayor. And that was something I talked about every night. It was such a a dumb joke, but I like beating a joke to death, as you might have noticed from the Matt Damon thing. Yes. I enjoy that. I like seeing if I can squeeze one last drop. It's very satisfying for me. I love that, though, because you go back and it makes you laugh again and then again. And just when you think it's dead. Yeah. If you can get one more thing out of it and another thing (laughs) out of it, it's like screwing with your friends, really. I have a friend who's short and just no end to the short jokes. And I have a feeling those will be unacceptable (laughs) soon, too. (laughs) So I'm trying to enjoy them. (laughs) Jimmy, you have to now. (laughs) Is this your actual size in this little box? Yes. (laughs) By the way, I just need to say, Chad is not short, but he played basketball. And so for a basketball player, all my friends are really very tall. Jason is short by anyone's measure. (laughs) Yeah. I actually do think that is sort of a thing that's coming down the pike is short guys. The rise of the short. The rise of the short. I really do. Yeah. (laughs) I do too. You're very confrontational. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> By the way, these are adjectives I would use to describe myself. Subversive, sarcastic, confrontational. 
I'm nicer than you think I am. <laughs> no, well, actually, where this was going was, yeah. But I think your one of your superpowers is that you're charming, and I think that those things, in some weird way, are connected. You've just described Ted Bundy, Chad. You. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. Maybe I'm off base then, or, may, or maybe I'm projecting on you. No, you're right on base. And I will tell you this, and it's hard to look at yourself and evaluate yourself like that, but I can look at my mother, who was a class wit in her high school in Brooklyn. It was a huge school, you know, so it's kind of a big deal to be class wit in your giant Brooklyn high school. And I remember being interested in this when I was a kid, because that's all I wanted to be was the funniest kid in the class. That's all I cared about was getting laughs in class. And I asked her about it and she said, well, I guess what they said was I had a way of making fun of people and they didn't even know that I was making fun of them while it was happening. And I think that's something that she passed along to me and my siblings. That's a quality that... I can, with a smile on my face, say something that most people get angry at, but for whatever reason, they don't get mad at me for it. I think you're genuinely a nice person. Thank you, Julie. Something that Julie and I talk about is that I am a newbie here, and I'm just learning Hollywood decorum, and there are lots of I love yous and pleasantries, <laughs> and there's this cadence about it that I'm trying to just wrap my brain around a little bit. I'm glad you said that, Chad, because I don't know that this is a Hollywood thing. I think this is just the thing that's going on lately. And I noticed it in my daughter, who's seven years old. And I noticed, I say this to my wife because it drives me kind of crazy. She's like, oh, I love you. You know, these acquaintances of ours. Okay, bye. I love you. It's like, hey, what's left over yeah. for me? If you love, you know, the mom of one of, your, one of our child's friends that we've never had over to our house. <laughs> It's like when we started calling people Facebook friends. Well, these are not our friends. This should be a different term for this. And I love you has become an epidemic lately. Everybody with the I love you, I love you, I love you. It's kind of crazy. And I don't know that that's a Hollywood thing. I think that's just a thing mm. that's happening. Mm. What's up with that? In this year. I don't know. Maybe people are being a little nicer because we haven't seen each other in a long time. Our interactions were limited to screens and FaceTimes for so long. And there's this need to sort of express the kind of, you may die tomorrow. We all may die. Yeah. I think I'll tell you I love you. For the first time, we had it in our head that it wasn't just the old or the sick people around us that might die. It was everybody. I remember at the beginning of COVID, one of my good friends got it and I was devastated. Oh my God, he might die. And he was in the hospital and it turned out to be fine. But it was a time where I was just worried about everyone. I was making appointments like Everyone old that I know, I won't even say it. <laughs> oh, no. There's oh, some no. older comedians <laughs> that I know. I'm up in the middle of the night online trying to get appointments for them. I'm like, hey, I got you an appointment. What, 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 what kind of appointment? For COVID shots. Oh, for shots. <laughs> like, okay, I get it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I should have mentioned that. Yeah, but you remember how it was hard to get appointments? Yeah, it was impossible. I got an appointment from my Uncle Vinny and my Aunt Fran. Just out of the blue, they get an email from me. You have an appointment on Wednesday. And they're like, oh, thank you. Because they don't know how to operate the computer. Jimmy, I wanted to ask questions about your job. Are the things that you enjoy still about your job now the things that you enjoyed about it 10 years ago? Yes, definitely. What are those? Just goofing around with the people in the office. You realize when you wind up in a random group of people, say there's an event and you realize how funny the people that work in a <laughs> comedy talk show are. 
if you'll meet the people who work with your in-laws or something like mm. that, you go, oh my God, <laughs> I can't imagine sitting in an office with these people every day. And you realize because we do whittle it down to like the 20 funniest people we can find in the writer's room. That for me is the most fun part, being with a group of super funny people and just screwing with each other all day. And on the other side of that, is the shit that you hate about it the same as the shit you hated 10 years ago? Yeah, but the shit that I hated about it is not as shitty as it used to be because at the time there was a ton of pressure on me and on the show and the show at the time was live. It was from 9.05 p.m. to 10.05 p.m. when we started every night for years. It was two and a half years. It was live. And then we moved from eight to nine. So my whole day and night was spent at the show. Just, in fact, I was in a room that had no windows, so I got no sunshine. But what I had to deal with from the network at that time was very difficult. And they were really up my ass. And everyone knows how much fun it is to have a job where your boss is up your ass. And now they're not. My radio career, I had to deal with a tremendous amount of that, of scrutiny and sitting in meetings after the show every day, listening back to the tape with the boss who's sitting there and scratching his beard and telling you what was funny and what wasn't. And you're going like, this guy, he's never said something funny his whole life. I have to listen to this fucking guy. So that's great being able to operate relatively autonomously. But there's still the meetings dealing with employee bullshit, which I get more than I care to get. You know, I, my door's a little bit too open a lot of the time. Yeah. And so I get involved in things that I don't necessarily want to be involved in and normal hosts wouldn't be involved in. But for the most part, it's fine. The job itself is fine. Do you feel a need to protect your writers? When you go out there with a joke or a monologue that you're like, oh, crap, and the audience is kind of looking at you, do you take those lumps? Yes, of course. It's ultimately my fault. I'm the one who decides if a joke goes on the air or not. So I've never, ever, and there have been occasions where a joke has become a problem, but I would never blame the writer. It's not their fault. It's my fault for choosing it. Do you feel like in this age of wokeness that you have to eat shit faster or sooner or apologize? Or do you just kind of go, I've been around long enough. People know that we all are learning and growing. It depends. I've learned not to apologize for things I don't feel sorry for. <laughs> <laughs> for real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think we need to maintain some level of sanity and... I think that if there's something that I go like, yeah, you know what? I, that was no good. I shouldn't have done that. And I have no problem apologizing for it. And if I go, hey, you know what? It was a joke. Maybe it rubbed some people the wrong way. Sorry. I feel something I'm trying to learn is this value in saying the thing that everybody else is afraid to say and being edgy and being provocative and also, it seems like there's a value in making people feel comfortable being around you and wanting to talk to you and wanting to spend time with you, especially for what Julie and I are trying to do now. I think you walk that line very thoughtfully. Were you ever fucking that thing up earlier in your career? Yes. Like, was, is there a science to it? There's no science to it. I think it's super interesting that you're thinking about that because I think that's good in general. It's a good quality to have as a human being. But there was a time in my career, especially because my job was different. When I was on the radio, I wasn't always the host of the show. I was the sports guy who was funny and kind of shocking and who would say something crazy to a celebrity at a press conference or something like that. I asked Mike Tyson once. It was a big press conference. 
And it was during the height of Mike Tyson's reign of terror <laughs> in the boxing world. He'd been arrested, he'd, you know, all sorts of problems, fistfights with people, whatever. And I raised my hand. I was, nobody knew who I was. I said, Mike, why can't you behave yourself? <laughs> what? That's what you asked yes. him? <laughs> what did he say? He was very angry. Everyone was angry. His people were all angry. And all the other reporters were angry. Everyone was angry. <laughs> me. In fact, I think he even ran it on ESPN and denounced me on ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> did you have to do the thing where you're like, Hi, Jimmy Kimmel, WQRX. I was with K-Rock at the time. No, I did not introduce myself. I just <laughs> asked the question. Then tumult happened. And then there were a few guys who seemed like they wanted to make a good impression on Mike who started moving towards me. And I got the <laughs> hell out of there. I actually ran out of there. I was like, all right, I get it. I backed out of the room and then I ran to my car. <laughs> <laughs> That's what anonymity affords you. Yeah, right. But once you start to be seen and viewed, it also means you're getting judged. Yeah, and that's not always great. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's nice. And most of it is fine. But yeah, there's you're opening a, a box and all sorts of little goblins are going to fly out of it. It's funny because you go through these stages where people are rooting for you because you're new and then they're tired of you. And then you have your different audiences that join you and think different things about you. And it's always evolving and it's not necessarily always fun. When I was hosting The Man Show, if I ever went out to a bar or restaurant or something like that, it was like a zillion tequila shots flying at me. Everyone wanted to <laughs> buy me a drink. It was overwhelming. And for a while, I would drink all those drinks because I felt like I was being rude if I didn't. And then after a couple of like bed spinning nights, I was like, I gotta stop drinking all these shots, people said. <laughs> and you harden yourself in some ways. And you learn, and I'm sure, Julie, you probably do this too, that when there's someone who is, and you can tell when there's somebody who really is a fan, if you want to call them that, it's your job to make a good impression on that person because you could really hurt them if you don't. Mm. And even just casually dismissing them is something that they might think about for a long time. And I personally experience that. And I know that it's not great. And so I do keep that in mind when I meet people. I'm always open to the possibility that they are genuinely a fan and not just somebody who wants to get a picture. And then people say shit to you that drives you crazy. Like, I don't know who you are, but I think my son might. And so I want to take a picture. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. okay, good. I'm glad I can be here to be your Instagram photo op. <laughs> you know? Right. I saw other people taking pictures and I don't yeah. know who you are, but I figured I'd get one. I always say, you could just leave that out. Just <laughs> in the future, just leave that out. You know, I don't need to know that. Let me have my little fantasy. <laughs> you like me. Well, when the kaleidoscope is changing around you, now people are buying you shots all the time and they want to take a picture with you and all this. Do you also then change inside of it besides just being drunker sometimes on tequila shots? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you do. I think you start to be a little more careful. You have to be aware. Mm. I don't know who the most famous person either of you has met is. It's you. But, but <laughs> but you have stories about that person, right? After the experience, you'll maybe tell your friends. Everything they do. Yeah. Every move they make. Barack Obama, most famous person I ever met. There you go. Just like that. The queen and the royals. Every time I have someone on the show who's met them, 
I think our segment producers are particularly interested in that. You know when you're Prince Harry or something that whatever you say to that person, they're going to tell 5,000 people. So as a result, you can't just be regular. You just can't say to them what you might say to to somebody else because that story is going to become a matter of semi-public record. Yeah, mine is Kanye Mm -hmm. and Kim Kardashian. And I was a... I mean, I still am a huge fan of Kanye musically. The story of that day, which is probably just only a few hours long, is I've told it at least 30 times. I think I've told it to Julie already, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I couldn't believe it. You spent like an afternoon with Kim and Kanye. Yeah, but I extrapolated so much out of what were probably just very normal, forgettable human interactions that I have with everybody. Like, everybody's cut me off before, but he cut me off. So I tell people he cut me off and all the things that it meant. And Jimmy, you said, as you were describing the experience being on the other side of that, that it can hurt someone and you have experienced that. Does that come back around? I think if it happens to you, it, it like this is an example. And this is this is somebody that I'm now very friendly with and have a great relationship with. And he did nothing wrong at all. But as a kid, I loved Steve Garvey, the baseball player. He was my guy. I saved every clipping of every great game he had. I still have them. And I met him in Tampa when I was a disc jockey. I was young, you know, I was probably 24, 23 years old. And there was some event he was going to be at. And this woman I worked with is like, hey, this Steve Garvey's going to be at this banquet. Oh my God, I could maybe meet him. I was really nervous and very excited. And there was a line of people to meet him. And I got to the front of the line and I don't know what I was expecting, but he was perfectly polite with me. He's like, hi there. And I was like, hi, Steven, this, this woman I worked with, she's like, he's a really big fan. He's like, oh, thank you. And what's your name? He says to her, and he'd kind of moved past me and I get it. But as we then moved out of his orbit and past him, I felt like, oh my God, he means so much to me. And I realized that it doesn't really matter to him. (laughs) And and it was something that kind of knocked the wind out of me for a long time. And it really made me think about that moment where you, even if it's a quick moment where you have to kind of lock in with somebody and and see them. But you've been doing that for so long, and especially because you're on TV five nights a week. I know a lot of people who are very polite and can do it well, where someone comes up to the table and say, I'm sorry, I'm eating, Mm -hmm. and they leave. I know you can't. Yeah. I know I can't. No, it's hard. I'm always stand up. How are you? Try to give them a moment. Find out something about them. I did do that this weekend, actually. I think about it afterwards, but I was at a table. It was a charity event with some other celebrities, and I did it because I didn't want to make that decision for them. Once you're with somebody and you stand up, dude, then they have to too. So I tried to just be nice. But you know what happens. And you're at a restaurant and you take a picture. That is a green light for everyone else in the restaurant to interrupt the meal. And then it becomes rude to the people you're dining with. You kind of have to almost pick. Absolutely. Am I going to disappoint a stranger or am I going to annoy my kids who are at this table with me. Can I ask you both just what is the shelf life on that experience being cool? Is it a year? Is it a month? Was it ever cool? (laughs) Did you ever enjoy it? For me, it was super cool at the beginning. How about you, Julie? Oh, I always felt mortifying. It's so embarrassing if somebody came up to me anywhere. I was like, oh, God, I could feel like a full flush of sweat. Really? I was so grateful that I had 
some experience with it because I'd been working a while before Modern Family. So by the time I got there, I wasn't in a full sweat. But I definitely still look around like, is anyone seeing this? Because my family will get mad at me about mm-hmm. it. Not all of them, but certain members. And you know who you are, Mom and Dad. <laughs> we'll be like, this is unacceptable. <laughs> like somehow that this shouldn't be happening. Yeah. My parents are the opposite, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. They will go round people up and bring them to me. And I'll go, Mom, <laughs> we're trying to get to the plane, you know, and then they act like they didn't, you know. <laughs> they think that your name should only be in the papers when you get married, when you die. Uh-huh. I and see. I have really violated <laughs> I was on the radio when I started, so it was very rare that I get recognized. And when it did happen, it was exciting because no one knew what I looked like, but they knew my voice. I remember being in Costco once many years ago, and I was talking to somebody in line, and this woman taps me, and she says, are you on the radio? And I said, yes, I am. And it was very exciting. And and then when I did Win Ben Stein's Money on Comedy Central, I feel like I would get recognized once a month. And that's the perfect amount because it's the only evidence you have that someone's watching the show. And that's fun. But it's fine 99% of the time. When people are drunk, it can be unpleasant. Or when people are rude. But when people are polite, it's... And never mind it, I'm naturally shy in general, so it does help me if I'm in a room or something like that. It helps break the ice automatically. I don't have to do it. So from that standpoint, it's good. But if I'm in an elevator or something, I can feel a crushing amount of anxiety Uh, sometimes. uh. (laughs) That just makes me laugh because you've chosen this job, and I totally get it, but you have a role, and your role is essentially to be hosting this ongoing party. Yeah every night. And you also host real parties and they go on all night. Julie, though, the job snuck up on me. And I know that sounds crazy, but I started on the radio, which you can choose when you want to be known. If you want to announce who you are at an event, then you're famous. But the rest of the time, you're not. I never imagined myself being on television. That was something that just came as a result of being on the radio in LA. This is not something that I had planned. I love David Letterman. I had a late night with David Letterman birthday cake. It was my license plate on my car. And everyone assumes that because of that, that meant I always wanted to be a late night talk show host. I never even imagined there would be other late night talk shows. That never occurred to me. How would I be a late night talk show host? There are two of them, and it's David Letterman and Johnny Carson. And then they added Jay Leno. I never knew they would wind up being 25 of them, you know? Can we just go back really quick? I want to know what the license plate said. Was it late with an A? L8. L8. N-I-T. Yeah. Nevada license plate. So happy about that. (laughs) The woman at the DMV, when she gives it to me, she said, you're a Letterman fan? I go, and this is the early days of the show. I said, oh, yeah. Do you know the show? She goes, you think you're the only one that watches it? (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Really, what is the job? You know, if there's like a little kid and you were describing to them, here's one job you could have, kid. What is the job? Well, the job is I do a 15-minute stand-up comedy segment that I talk about the news at the beginning, and then I interview celebrities, then I introduce a band, if you want to really boil it down to what it is. But then if you start getting into the details, it's stand-up comedy, it's social commentary, it's a straight writing job, it's an acting job. Occasionally you wind up singing or playing the clarinet or something. So any ability you might have, if you learned a magic trick when you were 10 years old or learned to juggle like I did, you have to call upon all your gifts as limited as they may be 
I mean, I even have done artwork on the show, drawing <laughs> as part of the big, everything you have, you put into it. To me, the biggest part of it, which is not the thing that you're doing, but the way you're perceived, you're like in people's living rooms, bedrooms, on their computers, in their bed with them, literally, you know, you're sort of the late night companion. That's what I turn on late night TV for. Right. It's intimate. Yeah. It's intimate. It's familiar. You don't see that, though. When you're standing in front of the camera, do you think about, I'm keeping all these people company? I tried to think about, even though I'm performing in front of a lot of people or 150 people or whatever in the audience, that really I'm doing a show for one person watching alone. And it used to be like a lot of breastfeeding mothers, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. or older people who couldn't sleep or, you know, teenagers who were weird like I was at that age and loved watching TV alone in the middle of the night. But now it's a lot of people at breakfast watching on their computers or their phones in the car or in the cab or whatever. And so that's definitely changed. But I do think it's important when you're broadcasting to remember you're also talking to one person for the most part. And even saying, hey, everybody is a misstep. You know, you're talking to that one person and you should tailor your language to an individual. And does that change it that now late night's not late anymore? Like they have that disclaimer in front of SNL when you watch it, if you watch it on Hulu later on and it says this was originally meant for late night. Oh, it does. I didn't know that. Yeah, they say that. Oh, that's a content restriction thing. Right. Do you have to do that for your, should you think about, oh, now that it's going to be, somebody's watching while the kids are eating breakfast, I got to frame this differently. I don't. Maybe if I was just starting, I'd go, oh yeah, we get a lot more views online than we do on television. And that's how I should look at it. But I just have always looked at it in a traditional way. I get paid by ABC. I should focus on doing the show for ABC and not YouTube. Right. That makes sense. What would make you want to stop doing this? Would you just describe that thing of using all your gifts? And it feels like a dream to be able to use all your gifts in one place. It feels like such a huge challenge. It feels so dynamic. It feels like what I think ails so many humans is they feel like they have dormant gifts. Mm -hmm. So what could or would ever make you want to stop doing that? Well, I think fatigue is probably the the number one thing. I think there's something exciting about the beginning of whatever it is, whether it be a relationship or a job or, or whatever. And I think when it starts to feel like a job, that's when you owe it to the audience to stop doing it. Because there is somebody else who will be super enthusiastic and energetic and good. And then at a certain point, you have to say, okay, this is yours now. But who do you think you would be then if you did quit? I'd love to know, who do you think that person is? You don't know who it is because you haven't quit. Well, I don't know for sure. My fear is that I'll wish I hadn't. You know, yeah, that's my greatest fear because you can't test it out really. But I do have a lot of hobbies that I'm consumed by and that bring me a lot of fulfillment. I love fly fishing. I like to draw. I like to read. I just never get a chance to read. I'd love to have more time for my children. And I like to produce television shows. I like figuring out that puzzle for people. If you find somebody who's talented and what's the best way to present this person. And Mm -hmm. I've produced a lot of shows and I do enjoy that. I get a lot of gratification from that. I think I'd get enough from that. So probably instead of being one big thing, it'll be a lot of little things. And I Mm -hmm. love the idea of having the time and flexibility to indulge myself in those things that aren't necessarily 
that fruitful, I guess. Do you think it would change your perception of yourself to have that in the past tense? Yeah, I think so, probably. I think there'll be a little bit of a little bit of the wind will be out of my sails. It'll probably be as a result of other people feeling that way. You're a wounded animal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's a great opportunity to find out who your real friends are. Mm. Yeah. Having just finished 11 years of Modern Family and discovering that other people are really excited to talk about the past tense of it all. Mm-hmm. And I can't really engage in that. That was my life for 11 years. But it's weird that other people's perception keeps coming back at me. How do you feel now that it's over? How does it feel? You're sort of like an elder statesman. You're just sort of going gently into that good night. I'm like, "Mm, I'm not dead. Yeah, right. For a lot of people, that is your identity, but that's not the case for you. Right. For you, as great a job and as great a show, that's, I think, one of the great shows of all time on American television. You know, it's one of the greatest shows ever. And you can be proud of that. And certainly you loved it and loved all the people, but it was just a job. You know, it was still Mm. a job. The people that you loved, you can continue to love and you might not see them as much. But I think that's hard for people to understand how that a question like that hits you. Yeah. Jimmy, I have one more question. I've watched, read and listened to quite a few of your interviews over the last few days you being interviewed by others, which I has to expect feels like LeBron going and playing like AAU basketball with teenagers. And I'm <laughs> no. okay. Well, I am curious. What is it like to be on the other side of the microphone in these instances? Are you critiquing? Do you feel like, oh, here's how they could have done this better? And how could we do this better? Sometimes. And I mean, are you looking for an evaluation? Because I think it was great. And I'll tell you why I think it was great. Please. You shared a little bit about yourselves with me. It wasn't a one-sided conversation where I had to fill in all of the blanks. Sometimes it's like that. And I think you just get a more richer conversation when that's the case. But also, and what's probably the most important thing, you didn't ask me the same questions that I get asked all the time. For me, when I ask somebody a question... And they say, yeah, yeah, I get asked that a lot. And then they respond. It hits me like a dart in my head. <laughs> it's like, oh, you do? Oh, God. <laughs> you know. And it's nice to be asked different questions. The repetition, because I worry about, am I repeating the same things? Mm. I don't want to say the same stuff, but also some of the stuff is the stuff. So if you change it, you're changing your answers, you know, and you're not being truthful. You're just being entertaining. Thinking about the questions and not going for the low-hanging fruit, I think, is one of the things I enjoyed about our chat. Thank you. We really appreciate you doing this with us, and we hope that when you ever get around to quitting your show, which I hope you (laughs) never do, it's always the most fun, and you're always the kindest, and I can't wait to see Chad on it one day. But if you ever do quit, come and talk to us about it. All right, good, yes. I'll come and I'll get solace and insight from you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Jimmy. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. That was fun. You're awesome. Nice to meet you, Chad and Julie. Very good to see you. Likewise. Oh, and in the interest of all the love and the I love yous, Jimmy, I really like you. (laughs) Thank you. I like you, too. (laughs) It's bordering on love even, but. (laughs) I mean, it's close, but it's, you know. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. 